is Histories of Mysteries. I'm Ashley. And I'm back. Yay! <laughs> and I'm Rochelle. <laughs> and on this week's episode, Ashley is going to be talking about the Hicks babies. And Rochelle is going to be talking about David Huggins. Sure Yay. am. Yay! <laughs> and we're glad you're back, Jessica, and you'll be back with a story next week for our listeners. Yeah, well, and it's a good one. Yeah. Already researched it. Look <laughs> at you. I know, I just finished okay. one today. <laughs> I am really grateful that I had the break because it gave me time to just kind of recharge and fall in love with the podcast again. So Yay. I was feeling kind of stagnant there, and I think I just needed that break to kind of recharge and refined my love for it <laughs> so oh good I'm glad yeah no I actually had a really good time researching so that was nice good <laughs> and speaking of love of the podcast don't forget everyone we have a sticker as we want to give you for being awesome listeners so yeah. email us at histories and mysteries 515 at gmail.com with your mailing address and we will send you out a little sticker yeah mm-hmm. Um, alternatively, if you don't want to go, if you don't want to type in our uh, email because it's long, um, <laughs> you can go to our website <laughs> and we have a contact form that you can put that same info into and it goes directly to our email. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the website is historiesandmysteries.ca. Yes. It's a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I am going to jump in. Um, I got my sources from Country Living Magazine, uh, an A&E documentary called Taken at Birth, ABC News, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and the Mercury News. And now I do feel bad. They were taken at birth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, y'all missed Jessica assuming that this was a creepy baby story. She literally just said that it was the Hicks babies. And to anybody, I feel like that sounds creepy as shit. So like it's not creepy. It's sad. Okay. (laughs) Great. Okay, you guys are gonna be like, what the actual fuck when it comes to my stories so. i'm very Our excited wild <laughs> it'll be a nice lift from my story oh, <laughs> yeah her story's a wild story <laughs> <laughs> all right so our story starts out with jane blasio jane grew up in akron ohio and she was adopted by jim and joan um, she had a sister named michelle who was also adopted and they had a relatively normal childhood um She didn't know she was adopted until she was about six. Her father called her in and her sister um, and said, hey, I need to tell you girls something. And he told them that they were both adopted. At the time, Jane was only six, so she didn't really care or maybe even like really fully understand what that meant. So she was just kind of like, okay, and like moved on. (laughs) (laughs) One day when Jane was a bit older, she was going through some old photo albums and found a baby book that had her sister Michelle's birthday and then another birthday on there, but it wasn't (gasps) Jane's birthday. Oh, no. These were the girls that were taken at birth. I, okay, because I was like, why are we going into a prehistory when, like, we're going to talk about this girl growing up having babies and then her babies are taken? (gasps) Oh, my God. Sorry. Wait, what? (laughs) 
obvious from the beginning. <laughs> I thought something happened as I didn't have my I don't know, I was like away from the camera for a second. <laughs> well, just come buckle up because you're gonna be in for a wild ride with this one if that gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the birthday on it wasn't Jane's birthday that she knew. So she brought the book to her mother and she was like, Hey, what the heck? And her mom confessed that the date on the book was actually the date they brought her home. And that's why it didn't match the date on her birth certificate because they weren't hundred percent sure what day she was actually born on. And I heard two different stories about this. One, I heard that this is when her mom told her the truth. Another one, I heard that she didn't find out the truth until her mom passed away. And then her dad told her. But either way, she finds out that she was actually passed out the back door of a clinic when she was a baby. (gasps) So, yeah, Jean was like, uh, what? So at the age of 19, Jean started to look into where she came from. She only knew two things for sure. One was that she was born in McKaysville, Georgia. And two was that she was born by Dr. Thomas Hicks in his clinic. Hicks Clinic. So she decided to head to McKaysville, Georgia to get more information about herself. And she started asking around the clinic, asking about Dr. Hicks, but no one really wanted to talk about it. And at this time, Dr. Hicks had long passed away. Someone even told Jane to watch herself when the sun went down. So like the town did not want to talk about this. Yes, Jessica, you have a question. (laughs) I didn't want to interrupt. (laughs) This room. Okay. Did you guys watch the Vampire Diaries? Yes. Yes. Okay. It reminds me of Elena's storyline where like, you know, her father was the doctor at the clinic, but then Elena's biological mom like gave birth there to, you know, her dad's brother. And it just, yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> I saw it years ago, like when it was out on TV. I so read I the it. books and then I watched like the first couple seasons and then it just got like shitty. It was shitty, yeah. But I yeah, it. it just reminded me of that. I'm sorry. Gotcha. No, you're fine. That was a that was a great comment. <laughs> <laughs> was that sarcasm? <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> So her story keeps getting creepier. She said that one night she walked up to a building and was looking like kind of in it and at it. And she heard a shotgun rack. So she's like, okay, I'm walking away from here. Eventually she decided to go into a small shop and talk to the owner. She started telling him her story and he just kind of like listened for a little bit. And when she was done, he said, not here and gave her a piece of paper with his address on it. He told her to come over after dark because he didn't want the townspeople to know he was talking to her. But uh, no, thank you. That sounds like a lock you in my basement situation. Yeah, with a pitchfork and a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> but she was determined. So she went and thankfully he did not lock her in her in his basement. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and apparently he had been an EMT for years. So he had heard a lot of things. So he started to spill. Dr. Thomas J. Hicks was the beloved town doctor in McKaysville. And McKaysville was a really, really small town. So it was like he was the doctor. You know, everybody knew him. Everybody knows the town doctor. 
Um, and women would come from miles to see him because he would perform abortions. And at the time in the 1950s and 60s, it was illegal. Um, and he would perform them for about $100. He would also facilitate off the book adoptions for out-of-state parents. And when I say off the book, I mean black market, he sold babies. Remember when I did the Georgia Tan story? Yes. The lady who stole all the babies. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So the way his scheme worked was that if you wanted your baby, uh, if you wanted a baby, your name would go on this list. No questions asked. So there weren't like background checks run on these adopted parent, adoptive parents or anything. Um, when he had a woman come to his clinic asking for a, an abortion, he would say, hey, I can take care of the adoption and put you up in a hotel if you carry this baby to term. He would also have moms that would come to him that just straight up want to adopt their baby. So once the baby was born, the people who were next on the list would get a call. They would go to the back of the clinic and he would literally pass them a newborn baby through a back door in an alley. Um, that's how I'd like to have a baby, please. I don't <laughs> I'd just like to show up and take one. To take one and call it a day. That sounds great. <laughs> so I they mean, would... like the circumstances don't sound great, but like <laughs> the idea of, of not of giving that birth is great. <laughs> so um at the time he would sell them for about eight hundred to a thousand dollars. Which, okay, that's a little too much for my budget. Well, oh, I was just about to say that sounds pretty cheap. Well, <laughs> adjusted for inflation, it was actually about eight to ten and a half thousand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's mind. still cheap for adoption, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. So here's where it got really bad because then he would forge a birth certificate and he would put the adoptive parents' names in the birth parents' spot and then would mail the birth certificates to the adoptive parents. So one story was that Dr. Hicks's son couldn't have kids with his wife and he wanted to have kids. So this is kind of like what was the catalyst for Dr. Hicks going from just performing abortions to doing these adoptions because he wanted to get his son a kid. Um, I don't really know the validity of that, but that was one story. So one reporter went to McKaysville, Georgia to try and learn more about doc- Dr. Hicks. And in, in the documentary, he spoke to a 90-some-year-old woman named Doris, who was like the town historian. She was the cutest fucking lady I've ever seen in my entire existence. She was so cute. Pictures she was so or it happy. didn't happen. <laughs> Well, I mean, she looks like a regular, like, 90-year-old lady, but she was just, like, so happy and, like, just, like, so excited to be talking about McKaysville, Georgia. And it's me so in the cute. future. Yes. <laughs> so cute. Um, a little problematic because she's kind of apologetic for Dr. Hicks. Like, she kind of doesn't think anything he did was wrong. But other than that, she's awesome. <sighs> So she had lived in the town her whole life, and she actually grew up friends with the Hicks family. One of his daughters was the same age as her, and they went to school together. So she would hang out in the um, the clinic a lot, and um, she really only remembers the good in Dr. Hicks because she's a gosh darn rain of sunshine. But <laughs> <laughs> she pointed out Dr. Hicks's buildings in this documentary, and there were some rooms that the women would stay in when they were receiving care. 
And she said that sometimes she would like eat meals with them and stuff because she was just there hanging out with her friend. And she said the women would tell her like, you can't tell anyone I'm here because if anybody found out they'd kill me or like my daddy would kill me or, you know, whatever, because abortion was so looked down upon back then and they were doing it illegally. Mm -hmm. The one thing Dr. Hicks did have going for him was that he was, you know, ahead of his time performing these abortions from women and doing it safely as a doctor with medical equipment, which not all women got back then. Um, and she said that she never saw anyone die that he was helping there. You know, obviously I don't know that they would let the kids see that anyway, but like, you know, it was safe, safer than what some women at the time were forced to do. I guess that's a positive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's one positive of it. Um, the reporter asked her if she thought that like Dr. Hicks ever thought about the future of the babies. Cause he like, he basically essentially ripped their history away from them. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, he broke the law, honey. (laughs) And then she said, laws need to be changed, though, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So it gets worse, though. Okay. Um, (laughs) There are reported cases where women would give birth and he would tell them that their baby died. And give the baby to a new family. What? But, like, I thought these people didn't want their baby to begin with some of them did so he i mean he was the town doctor so if they went to him you know yeah one story even says that he put a mom in kind of like a twilight state and she heard her baby crying but he said no you're just crazy your baby died that's exactly what happened with georgia tam yeah like the same people thank god they didn't ever meet yeah oh (laughs) weren't they were they different time periods when was georgia tan do you remember rochelle the 50s i think yeah this is the 50s okay So he actually continued to do this for years. Um, He lost his medical license in 1964 when he got caught performing illegal abortions. Oh, no. Her her adoption, though, was in the 20s. Oh. She died in the 50s. Oh, okay. Okay. She has, like, the forerunner in there. So he, like, she was reincarnated into him. Ew. (laughs) So, like, when she died in the 50s, that's when he started doing this. So, like, she, his, her spirit took over his body. Uh, Okay, so he lost his medical license in 1964 when he got caught performing an illegal abortion. But all in all, he sold over 200 babies. Oh, I thought you were going to say 200,000 babies. No, 200 babies. Okay, that's still awful. (laughs) Yeah. And as I'm sure you can guess, Jane was one of these babies. She said that her mom wanted a baby so, so bad, and her dad was going to make it happen no matter what. He got on Hicks' list, and when it was their turn, he headed down to Georgia. He said Hicks gave him Jane swaddled in a blanket and still covered in dried blood. So he was, like, literally taking these babies from, like, vagina to sale. Like, there was no, like, he barely even cleaned them off. Um, As they were driving back, he said that Jane wasn't really looking good. Like, they thought, you know, she was, because she was just born, you know, and um, so she wasn't doing very well, but they were so scared to stop at a hospital because they were afraid they were, they would ask questions. Right. But thankfully Jane was okay. Um, which isn't the case for all of the babies. And we'll get into that in a little bit. 
But unfortunately for these 200 and some people, the search for their birth parents would not be an easy one because Dr. Hicks put the adoptive parents on their birth certificate. So there was no way for them to figure out who their birth parents were. Um, And some of them, some of the birth parents thought their baby had died. So they're not even looking for a baby. Um, But some of the Hicks babies, so this story broke in 1997 when Jane was looking through the town and then kind of found all this out about the Hicks clinic and it kind of went to the news and it broke. And so now all these people are coming forward, you know, that were also born at the Hicks clinic and they're called the Hicks babies. And they actually all kind of meet up and work together to help find each other's birth parents. And they've kind of bonded through this trauma. But as time passes, the prospects of meeting their biological parents alive get smaller and smaller because Jane was the youngest Hicks baby. She was the last one. And she's 37 um, in 1997 when this case broke. So if she's the youngest one, the rest of them are quite a bit older, which means, you know, the parents are getting really old. So the hunt was on and Jane was at the forefront of this investigation. She's been working on this for almost 30 years, uh, but thankfully now we have DNA. So it's easily accessible to us um, like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. And Jane actually uses to find out that who she thought was her birth mother for 17 years actually was not. Um, Jane was contacted by a woman who said she thinks she knew her, her, who Jane's birth mom was. And she thought her birth mom was a lady named Kitty. She had given up two children at the Hicks clinic and one was at the right time frame for it to be Jane. And Jane even looked a little bit like Kitty. But unfortunately, Kitty had passed away in a car accident 10 years before Jane knew about her. But because of this, Jane was able to find who she thought was her birth father and developed a pretty strong relationship with him and his other children. She she thought that was her dad. She called him dad. But when DNA became more common and she took the DNA test, it came through that she wasn't Kitty and Frank's baby. So for 17 years, she thought these were her parents. And again, they were not. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. It's so sad. Like, yeah, here's twice now she, you know, but also, uh, earlier, <laughs> I was trying not to laugh and I held back from saying a sassy comment. So you can take this out. But, um, <laughs> when you were explaining, how these people were older and then you know obviously their parents are older and like aging and it's like well yeah that's how aging works (laughs) shut up (laughs) (laughs) I got a little too in detail with that one (laughs) I'm gonna leave that in that's funny But now that they are able to use DNA more frequently, they can use this in their search to help others find their birth parents. And they kind of, they wanted to know more about Dr. Hicks and like what it was like for a mom giving birth with him. And one of the mothers who bought a baby from uh, Dr. Hicks. Oh, geez. Nope. I skipped ahead. One of the mothers who bought a baby from Dr. Hicks said that she wanted a baby so bad, but her husband couldn't have children. She said at the time she's from Michigan. And at the time, in order to adopt a baby, you had to own your own home, 
have a certain amount of money in the bank and be free of debt. So that eliminates like 90% of people, right? Like everybody has debt. So she said she was working at a paper mill and one of her coworkers had adopted a baby from Dr. Hicks already and had heard that she was looking. So she did her a favor and gave her name to Dr. Hicks. Not long after that, Betty got a phone call saying that they had a baby girl for her. Uh, and to be sure to bring a pillow so that they didn't have to hold the baby all the way back to Michigan because car seats weren't really a thing yet. I, I don't know why they were so worried about that, but whatever, that was a thing that was in there. So <laughs> when Betty went down there, she talked to Dr. Hicks and she is one of the only living parents who had talked to Dr. Hicks himself. When asked if Betty had a conversation with him or if he said anything, she said that he just requested the $1,000. Uh, Betty assumed it was for the mother's stay at the hospital. Didn't think anything of it. And the baby they handed her was only four pounds, four ounces. Holy crap. She said she fit into both of her hands. Wow. And apparently this wasn't the only tiny baby from the Hicks clinic. Um, and Jane thought that was weird. She started calling people and they were, you know, six pounds, five pounds, four pounds, five pounds. And she's like, this is, this is weird. And she actually talked to a doctor who said that four pounds is the average weight for a 31 to 32 week, like gestational. Like you start taking them out early. That's what they're thinking. I am as somebody who knows nothing about, uh, babies. Um, how many weeks are they normally? 40. 40. So it's like a month yeah. early. And they said, to put it in perspective for people who don't know Rochelle, um, a baby born nowadays before 34 or 35 weeks would be put in NICU because they would have trouble breathing or like trouble with nutrition or whatever. So that 31 to 32 weeks is like... Yeah. barely viable yeah because like at 36 weeks they say like you can have your baby and they'll be okay <laughs> yeah yeah so now jane's thinking okay well if you have these super premature babies that are basically like shoved out and then shoved out the door and then they have to drive home there's like a ton of them that were from Akron, ohio so then she starts to wonder okay well how many babies didn't make it home how many of these died on this trip? And there's no record of them. So you would never know. They're just gone. They're just erased from the world. So that's another really sad thing. That is really sad. Yeah. They did speak to one mother who gave birth at the Hicks clinic. And she said that uh, she went there for an abortion, but Hicks told her to carry the baby to term and he would adopt it out to his daughter, which was a lie. He was going to sell it. Anyway, about three weeks before her due date, Hicks induced her for no reason. So the question is, what if the ladies didn't want to go through with carrying the baby? Would he just birth the baby without their knowledge early? Or, you know, was he trying to keep up with demand? You know, what was going on? Or just scamming, (laughs) like scamming the people that are adopting, sorry, like giving them unhealthy babies that aren't viable. And, you know, right. he just literally go getting the money. Exactly. Yeah. And they can't mm-hmm. say anything about it because it's illegal. Right. Exactly. The lady said after she stayed there for two days, she went home. He gave her $20, which now is $211 and told her to buy herself a pretty dress. Oh my God. Gross. So 
they obviously will probably never know if he was, you know, taking these babies without mother's knowledge, like, or like, you know, if they didn't want to have carry him to term, if he was inducing them early, the suspicion is that yes, he was inducing them early to keep up with demand, but it may be an answer or a question that's never answered. Um, to this day, only 50 of the 200 babies have been identified, but several of those have been reunited with their birth family. So that is good. Yes. So thoughts is Hicks a villain or an angel of mercy for unwanted babies? Uh, A villain because some of the babies were wanted and then he just said, oh, your baby died. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. But the town is uh, split. Some people don't believe that he did that and they think that he was just helping women like adopt out babies or have abortions in a time where they weren't allowed to they just ignore all the bad things so if you go to mckaysville georgia you might get a different story interesting yeah well that was a cool story i've never heard of that yeah so that's the hicks babies and actually there's a really cool offshoot story of it. If, uh, let's go to court, just did it recently. One of the Hicks babies who was kind of like the, the ringleader other than Jane, um, <laughs> she, her mother was murdered. Her adopted mother was murdered and her fiance was accused and put away for the murder. But then they found out that he was actually innocent and he was released and so that's a crazy story and they covered on let's go to court. And then they also talk a little bit about the Hicks babies because she was a Hicks baby. So if you want more on this interesting story, check that out. Okay. So Rochelle, you told me this is going to be like the one alien story that I like. So I am ready. It's a dope alien story and I think you're going to love it. Okay. I'm excited. Cause I, I wanted to cover it and then I'm just like, haven't been in the mood for UFOs. So I'm glad Rochelle's covering it. <laughs> <laughs> it's dope. Before we jump in, I will warn you, this is a strange one. (laughs) A little NSFW in content, so maybe keep the earbuds in while listening. (laughs) I mentioned a while ago an alien abduction story that is just so insane. It just might change Ashley's mind about aliens. (laughs) If you didn't know, Ashley doesn't like aliens, and I am just not okay with that. Nope. (laughs) It's just, I don't know, like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't interest me, like, I don't know, like, the other, like, true crime or ghosts or, like, hauntings, like, but I I mean, I like alien movie, like, I like signs, that was good, but I'm just not, like, super into alien stories. Okay, aliens, come down, abduct Ashley, and make her a believer. Oh, (laughs) No, no, thank you. I mean, I believe in aliens. I believe in aliens. I think they're real. I just, I'm not super interested in the stories. So I believe like 10,000% that we cannot be the only ones. In yeah, this there's no way. Of the universe. No, there's and no although way. Although I have no idea what any possible aliens could look like or where they could come from. I have no doubts that they are out there somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Anyways. Onto the story of an artist by the name of David Huggins. Fasten your seatbelts, this is a wild ride right from the beginning. <laughs> Losing your virginity is supposed to be memorable. That's <laughs> not where I thought the first line of the story would be. <laughs> Most people look back on the act with affection and probably a little embarrassment, but not David Huggins. <laughs> he says the first time he had sex was truly out of this world. No, seriously, it was out of this world. Oh, God. <laughs> proby, proby. <laughs> <laughs> this is a quote. 
Okay. When I was 17, I lost my virginity to a female extraterrestrial, the 74-year-old says in a documentary about him called Love and Saucers. <laughs> I became very aroused sexually. I couldn't get my pants down fast enough, he says. Oh, no. That sounds like every 17-year-old for their first time. <laughs> I fall back on the ground, and I'm lying there, and she's looking at me, and I reach my climax which is quite painful, actually. It was very intense. And then I'm looking in her eyes and I pass out. Virginity lost. End quote. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> I don't think it should be painful for a guy. <laughs> um, it also shouldn't be painful for a girl, though. Yes, true, true, true. He also mentions how the lady alien had a very nice body. The only thing that was different about her is that she had very long fingernails and she had these very large eyes and her face was very pale. The alien sex in question allegedly went down in 1961 when Huggins was a teenager living on his parents' farm in rural Georgia. Oh, another Georgia one. It wasn't the first time extraterrestrials had appeared to him. He claims he's been seeing strange alien creatures since he was only eight years old. On this day, as he was walking through the woods near his house, an alien woman appeared and seduced him. I thought, if anything, I'd be losing it in the backseat of a Ford, something like that. But it didn't work out the way that way, he said in the film. <laughs> According to Huggins, these visits from extraterrestrials and his sexual relationship with them continued far into adulthood. When a Vice.com reporter interviewed him for the story, Huggins told him that his last encounter with Crescent, his name for the woman in the woods, oh, that's only a name. six months ago. Mind you, this article was written back in 2018. I was sitting down in a chair and the woman, Crescent, was behind me. And she put her arms around me, he said. And that's about it. I don't know anything else outside of that. And he was pregnant? <laughs> We'll get there. Oh, God. <laughs> Huggins is unnervingly matter-of-fact when he talks about his encounters. It sets him apart from what most of us expect from truthers and UFO enthusiasts. It's important to note that David is not on any medications, nor has he been institutionalized at any time in his life. Does it mean he didn't need it? <laughs> he says he's never had an illness a day in his life, not even a cold. His paintings manifest from memories of abductions from the age of eight to the present day. People all over the world have reported similar experiences to David's only to be labeled crazy. He's not in it for the notoriety and he doesn't care if anyone believes him. When Huggins talks about fathering hundreds of alien babies, and yes, that's another facet of his encounters, he sounds about as even killed as a farmer explaining crop rotations. <laughs> David Freely talks about the time he was taken into a room filled with babies, being made to touch everyone. Human touch was really important to them. First time he touched one of the babies, static electricity jumped from his hand to the baby. That was right before he touched it. Oh, he's and Dracula. <laughs> and Van Helsing. <laughs> then. Sorry. He then pulled back and said to an insect being, well, wow, did you see that? Before actually touching the baby. He woke up the next morning totally exhausted and slept all day. 
But that night, the insect-like being takes him to a door. We are in front of this doorway and there is a brilliant light. It was like it was pushing its way out from the doorway. It had a form. The insect-like being said I had to go inside the room with the light. So I go inside and it was just incredible. The light was passing right through me. I was in there for a few minutes. The next morning when I woke up, I had incredible energy and felt really energized for weeks afterwards, he recounts. About his ongoing relationship with the aliens, David is their quote-unquote stud. They only seem to want him for that one purpose, fathering <laughs> a tiny army of alien babies. <laughs> he has complete trust in his alien companions, which can be seen as quite shocking considering his memories are often manipulated by his succubus buddies. Oh no, it's not the succubus. <laughs> Our blog journalist, Corey Armpriester, thinks that perhaps David's suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. He has accepted his lifelong enslavement as a sort of gift. He feels protected by these beings and claims they have saved his life on more than one occasion. There was an incident with a snake under the tool shed. There was another incident where he nearly drowned. He said, I'm looking at this person while I'm drowning and I hear this voice say, let him live. And just as I say that, my toe catches hold of a root and I'm able to pull myself to shore. He's genuinely grateful for their intrusion into his life. David's paintings may be the work of a madman, or David may be the victim of child trauma abuse, or the most radical scenario of all, David may be painting the truth. Oh. It's one of the things that drew filmmaker Brad Abrahams to track Huggins down in Hoboken, New Jersey, where he lives. Oh, that's where Kickboss is. I know. Abrahams heard Huggins' story on a podcast about UFOs and the paranormal. In a sea of outlandish claims, there was the one that rose to the surface, he said. And that was David's story. Yeah, I bet. Oh, well. <laughs> I, no I bet that rose to the surface. <laughs> also, Rochelle, your Powerade looks so fucking good right now. <laughs> I just really want it. <laughs> Great, and I used to hate Powerade. I like love Gatorade, but... These ones are good because they're zero sugar. Ew. It doesn't taste like Sugars? It the best. <laughs> David Huggins was born in rural Georgia in 1944. In Love and Saucers, he talks about hunting for arrowheads in a nearby field for fun and not liking the evangelical Baptist church his grandparents took him to sometimes. I don't blame him. I've never been that keen on going to church either. <laughs> in fact, my, my mom often tells a story of how when I was very young, I would get annoyed at the minister for talking too long in between the songs. <laughs> And strange beings that no one else could see started appearing to him around the farm he thought he was losing his mind. As a kid, David would see one of the beings and run to the house saying, hey, mom and dad, there's something out at the barn or something behind the house. And they would say, quit making things up. There's nothing there. One time he told his parents it was just too much for them to take. I got a whipping really good, he says. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Awful. The next day he went behind the house and there was the woman, Crescent, with a few greys and one insect being. Greys are like what you think of as an alien. Like the little head yeah. with the big black eyes. Yeah. yeah. He remembers telling the woman, my mom and daddy don't believe me that I see you and I got a whipping. Oh, <laughs> As soon as I said that, I knew she, Crescent, didn't like that. She looked at me and said, then don't tell them. 
<laughs> Duh. Crescent <laughs> sounds like a smart one. She also sounds like she's grooming him. Yeah. After that, it never said a word. One of the first encounters happened as the young David was relaxing under a tree. He says in the meeting, I'm sitting under a tree and I hear this voice say, David, behind you. And I turn around and there was this little hairy guy with large glowing eyes coming straight toward me. Ew. I thought it was the boogeyman. <laughs> I didn't know what to think of it, he says. Another day, an insect-like being that reminded Huggins of a praying mantis appeared. I was very terrified, he said. It was like, what in the world am I looking at? And for an eight-year-old, you don't know what to think. Once the initial shock wore off, Huggins says that his encounters were weird, but not at all that threatening. When he left Georgia in the mid-60s for art school in New York, in New York City, the beings followed. Nocturnal visits from Crescent, the ET who deflowered him, became routine. My relationship with Crescent was warm and friendly, a little strange. What do I mean? A little very strange. She was my girlfriend, really, Huggins says. A very unconventional relationship, he adds. One of the first paintings Huggins ever made of him, and ever made, was of him and Crescent having sex. Ew. Oh, no. He says, the painting's not really all that good. <laughs> uh, is it online? Can I look it up? Yeah, it is. Oh, what do we look it up? Just look up David Huggins' paintings. David she was Huggins. on top of me. I reach my climax, then she and the insect being leave, he says. Similar paintings fill his apartment. They're surreal and a little childlike, dominated by deep blues and greens. Hold up. There was a weird insect man watching the whole thing? Oh. I guess it can't be that weird if you're already banging an alien. Also, there's those one pictures where he's sucking on her boob. Ew. Oh, there's the one where he's, she's on top of him. And yeah. he's got an O face. Oh, I hate yeah. it. <laughs> All of it. Ew. Is that the one where you see the tiny little praying mantis in the background? No, that uh, one you, you just see his butt. Yeah, that one's creepy. Oh, wait, there's one. I think the other thing about. that sets Huggins apart from most people with alien abduction stories. He paints his encounters. Ew. It started in not? 1987 when Huggins started remembering details from the early visits. He said that he was triggered by Bud Hopkins' book, Intruders, The Incredible Visitations at Copley Woods. It was like a compulsion. I was being led to the book, he says. There's this other, there's this chapter, Other Women, Other Men. And I started reading it and I go, oh my God, this is the woman I never told anyone about. Oh no. As I was reading it, memory upon memory came flooding back. It was image upon image. They wouldn't stop. I think what bothered me the most is I didn't know what to do with it. I was so scared. It seemed like he was almost going crazy from not being able to process these experiences that uh, these experiences that happened to him. What were they? Why him? It really sounded like he was losing his grip on his life in reality. Abrams told me, uh, told him. I think that just meant Abrams said. It really <laughs> sounded like he was losing his grip on his life in reality. Abrams said. And then apparently he got this message from the beings that he should paint the experiences. And as soon as he started doing that, it changed him. I hate all of that. (laughs) I know. He said it was a release. He was able to sleep for the first time in weeks. 
Since then, he has painted every single detail of every encounter. A hundred something paintings. It's an art therapy. I don't know if that's how David would describe it. That was a big part of what Abrams wanted to show in the film, too. Once he found a way to show the rest of the world or even himself what happened visually through his art, he was able to process, make sense of, and come to peace with whatever happened to him. What makes Love and Saucers a very good documentary about a man who paints himself having sex with aliens <laughs> is that Abrams lays out the details of Huggins' story and lets viewers come to their own conclusions. At its core, Love and Saucers is a film about belief. First half is Huggins telling his own story. The second half is interviews with his friends and neighbors. Some of them weren't aware of Huggins' encounters beforehand, but they all believe him. Then there is Jeffrey Cripple, a professor of philosophy and religious thought at Rice University in Texas. He spent the early part of his career studying erotic mysticism, which led him to study alien abduction literature. Mm, the whole can't believe that's of a religions, thing. <laughs> the whole history of religions is essentially about weird beings coming from the sky and doing strange things to human beings. And historically, those events or encounters have been framed as angels or demons or gods or goddesses or what have you. But in a modern sort of secular world we live in, they get framed as science fiction, he says. Kripal believes Huggins. He says the mix of terror and euphoria Huggins describes lines up with old, age-old descriptions of humans encountering the sacred. Plus, details of Huggins' abductions mirror those described by other people Kripal hasn't interviewed and who believe they've had in supernatural experiences. I completely convinced they're not lying. They're being very sincere. But again, what it is, is an entirely different question. And that's where I think we need a lot more humility. Whether or not you think Huggins has really been having sex with aliens for the past 50 years, what's apparent is that Huggins himself believes it. Consider that this man isn't lying and that he's communicating something that he's experienced. It doesn't have to be taken literally. Someone cannot be crazy but still claim to have these completely unexplainable experiences. What I think is more fascinating than whether or not the truth is out there is what stories like Huggins say about the impulse to explain away that we do not understand and our limited ability to interpret all the sensations experiences and randomly firing neurons that come with being human when asked why Huggins thinks he oh boy <laughs> you got why... this <laughs> when asked why Huggins thinks beings appear to him he said I have a feeling that tens of million people millions of people perhaps hundreds of millions have had similar experiences mainly as children that's all I can really say, but I think the children, but I think as children, we are so open to things that these beings can appear to us. I never, I know I never closed up on it because it has continued throughout my whole life. And that is the story of David Huggins. You know how it's I wild. know, <laughs> you know how I know he didn't have sex with an alien because in his paintings, she has an alien face and then the rest of her body is just like a really hot woman's body right <laughs> and like the weird hair that's why it's so well he did mention that she had a rather nice body well i mean like she has this super alien like face and then he's like but a hot lady body and it looks just like a human body like what mm -hmm. 
there's also, I don't know if you've seen this painting, Rochelle, because I'm going pretty deep into it, of <laughs> him being uh, handily done by some aliens, and he actually drew <gasps> the ejaculation. Wait, oh. what is that? Send it in the group chat. <laughs> so I mean, horrible. the one where he's like sucking on her tit and she's holding. Yeah, yeah that one's baby. so creepy. Okay, so like this guy, like he just looks like a nice old man. He does. I saw a picture of him. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you sent it in this group chat. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited. Ew. (laughs) That's That's icky. And like the the fact that the praying mantis is like hanging out right there. (laughs) (laughs) And why is there just one praying mantis and the rest of them are like the hot bodied weird face? He's the leader. different. So he has the like lady ones. Uh Praying mantis ones. And he has the little hairy man. Oh yeah. And then like the gray aliens which are like what you think like what people think of when they think of aliens. Gotcha. I just think that it's like wishful thinking that he's having sex with this like like if it was really an alien I feel like the whole body would be different but like this one he's just like yeah I'm banging a hot alien <laughs> you know what I mean like that's a weird flex especially when he was like <laughs> so young when he started seeing her <laughs> well I did really like that story <laughs> it was a wild one <laughs> I do have to say that's probably one of my favorite alien stories I've heard. <laughs> it's a good one. Do oh you have God, any so jokes? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. Okay. Um, <clears throat> two pickles fell out of a jar onto the floor. What did one say to the other? We're in a pickle. Deal with it. <laughs> That's a tough I like yours too though. <laughs> um why did the dinosaur cross the road? To get to the other side. Because the chicken wasn't born yet. Um Oh, how are false teeth like stars? Ew, I don't know. They come out at night. Come out at night, yeah, I was just going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> I have more, but they're all stupid like that. <laughs> what is an alien's favorite beverage? Oh, oh. Prune juice? Gravity. Oh. <laughs> I feel like that should be an astronaut's favorite beverage, not an alien's favorite beverage. What do you call an alien who has muscles? A malian? A flexa terrestrial. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) All right, well, if you want. Oh, do you have one, Rochelle? Yeah, see the rest of it. Two aliens landed in the Arizona desert near a gas station that was closed for the night. They approached one of the gas pumps, and the younger alien addressed it, saying, Greetings, Earthlings. We come in peace. Take us to your leader. The gas pump, of course, didn't respond. <laughs> the younger alien became angry at the lack of response. The older <laughs> alien said, I'd calm down if I were you. 
The younger alien ignored the warning and repeated his greeting. Again, there was no response. Pissed at the pump's attitude, he drew his ray gun and said gruffly, Greetings, Earthling, we come in peace. Take us to your leader or I will fire. The older alien again warned his comrade, saying, You probably don't want to do that. I really think I will make him mad. Rubbish, replied the cocky young alien, and it's very <laughs> British. <laughs> he aimed his weapon and opened fire. There was a huge explosion. A massive fireball roared towards him and blew the younger alien off his feet. It threw him in a burnt, smoking mess about 200 yards away in a cactus path. Half an hour passed. This is all a long joke. Wow. When he finally <laughs> regained consciousness, he refocused his three eyes, straightened his bent antenna, and looked dazedly at the older riser alien who was standing over him, shaking his big green head. What a ferocious creature, exclaimed the young fried alien. Damn near killed me. How did you know he was so dangerous? The older alien leaned over, placed a friendly feeler on his crispy friend, and replied, <laughs> there's one thing I've learned during my intergalactic travels. You never mess with a guy. You can loop his penis over his shoulder twice and then stick it in his ear. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not where I thought that was going. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so Rochelle's whole story was not safe for work. <laughs> and neither was her joke. <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> Well, if you want more of us lovely ladies, you can find us at historiesandmysteries.ca. You can also find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And if you'd like to rate and review us, we would really love it. And if you also wanted to send us an email with your address, we will send you a sticker. It's super Yay. cute. Show up your, at your house on the now. Yeah. <laughs> hi we're here and yeah. hand deliver sticker yeah. well we look forward to bringing you two new stories next week bye, bye. bye.